You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. We're back. The Broncos Camp Podcast after a few days of preseason fun and a Hall of Fame induction for Pat Bowen and Champ Bailey. It's back. Ryan Edwards and I are here in the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse Studio. Can we call it Hall of Famer Pat Bowen Fieldhouse Studio? A little bit of a mouthful. We should. I think it's a, it's appropriate. I mean, it, HOF goes basically in front of, behind everything for the the rest of time, and that's the cool. That's a really really cool part. They should put a little Hall of Fame logo next to Pat Bowen's name out front of the Fieldhouse, like they're going to down on the Ring of Fame facade at Bronco Stadium at Mile High. There'll be a Hall of Fame logo next to Pat Bowen. There will be one next to Champ Bailey when he gets inducted in the Ring of Fame. Hopefully a year from now there'll be one for Steve Outwater. Oh, man. He I, keeps I, saying don't jinx it. But I just I, I feel really good about it. I feel really good. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I think like all of us who really love the man, love his play, you, yeah, you, you, you can't help but be a little bit nervous. But, yeah, I mean, in the end, Steve Atwater, uh, more than deserving of that honor, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when it does happen. I think it's going to be as soon as next year. One thing I want to ask Steve at some point in the near future is what's going through his mind as he's watching the Hall of Fame ceremony on Saturday. He's there with his wife because Pat Bowen is getting into the Hall of Fame. What's going through his mind? And I wonder if he's maybe getting ideas. Fantasizing a bit? Or thinking about what he might want to say up Mm, there. Mentally prepping? You can take good and bad things from the speeches. I'm not saying this with any bias. I thought Champ Bailey had the best speech on Saturday night. It was smooth. It was honest, poignant. I'm I'm 100% with you. And the kicker at the end, his, mm-hmm. I would, you know, you could call it a plea. You could call it just him being on, on the soapbox, taking advantage of the moment, uh, calling for uh, more understanding of what young black men are going through, mm-hmm. more understanding. I, it was a message that I thought a lot of people needed to hear at this point in time. And I hope everyone took it to heart and thought a little bit after that. I mean, didn't dismiss what Champ had to say. No, completely agree. And last year it was Dawkins with mental health. I thought it was really, really good. And look, I mean, if 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 you understand, I I mean, it's a little bit different for us, I guess, because we we spent a lot of time around Champ. We spent a lot of time outside of the play of playing. had many conversations with him. I, I know his intent with a lot of that, generally speaking. And, you know, he, he spoke from his heart. And overwhelmingly, there were a few people, but there were overwhelmingly positive comments based on what he had to say. And I, I, I kind of like that. I, I, I think that you're, you're in a position here where you can, you can strive for a better world. And, and you know, these guys don't get to be on that stage ever again. They they are look, they're they're Hall of Famers. People are always going to seek them out for what they think is interesting and appropriate. But they but don't get that thirty to forty minutes nope. on national television they won't ever get in that prime again. time like that. That's exactly right. That's a special moment. But speaking of Steve, I don't know I don't know if he'd ever do something like that. I mean he I, I could see him saying 
something, but I don't think you do that. There, there are definitely an opportunity there. Steve seems to be more like a guy that would kind of keep it pretty much straight about the people he wants to thank, the people that helped him get there. And then tell some good stories. Yeah. Champ, it wasn't just what he said at the end. What made his speech work, and I think Steve could do very well with this as well, is playing off the fans, you know, taking that beat, that pause to let the fans cheer and kind of soak it in. Mm-hmm. Champ Bailey probably had about a 27-minute speech, and it ended up being 30 because he let the fans respond to him and involve them in the speech. Made Really, I thought, made that connection, and that was something that was really cool to experience in person. I was sitting in the radio TV media area, which was on the field behind the floor seating, and the people sitting in front of me all were wearing Champ Bailey jerseys, and seeing how they were responding to that speech was really, it, it was really cool. One thing I would change, though, they had Tony Gonzalez go last. Right. And I thought that was a mistake. Now, for TV purposes, Tony Gonzalez, yeah, he's the biggest name there, but he didn't have the biggest contingent of fans there. It was Denver fans, and then right after that, Baltimore fans. I imagine Baltimore would have probably had the most fans if this were not one year after Ray Lewis going in. I think that diluted the Baltimore crowd, but there was a lot of purple there. But then the Broncos fans, of course, they had Pat Mullen and Champ Bailey. That combination allowed them to have the most robust turnout. But because they had Gonzalez last, you had people who were leaving after their team's inductees were done. Yeah. And so It's a long night. Poor Tony. And I can understand it. The, the thing didn't end until 11.51 Eastern time. It started at 7 o'clock. Actually, for those there in person, they started introducing the Hall of Famers that were there at around 6.30, the past oh, wow. Hall of Famers. They did the National Anthem, I believe, at 6.18. So if you're talking about starting something with a national anthem going to the end, it was five and a half hours. Well, and that had it's a little right. much. I mean, it's it's a big deal, and I want the players to say uh, what they want to share in that forum. But I think the show is a little bit too long. It gets a little long, and then you know you even had two where there weren't speeches; there were just video yeah. montage. So if there were full speeches for Johnny Robinson and Pat Bowen, holy cow, that thing would. <laughs> they would have pushed till one in the morning. Yeah, exactly. So that that's just something that they have to kind of keep in mind. It, it's tough because on one hand, yeah, it's it goes super late. On the other hand, there's so many great stories. Finding out the, the people that inspired them and the the moments that were key to the player. You know, we 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 talk about say for Steve, we talk about Steve key moment for him. You know, the Koye hit, the Super Bowl wins, and yet. What was the key moment in his career in his mind? You know, maybe what 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 changed the direction for him? It may be something off the field. Like for Champ Bailey, I think the thing I got from that speech was the key moment of his career was being traded to Denver. He said it. So that was the the key moment in Best my career. Best thing that happened to him. Yeah, and I I, lo- I like that. I liked when he talked about Mr. Bolin. Uh, I liked it when he talked about Washington. Talked about yes. Daryl Green and Deion Sanders. I actually asked him about that on Friday, and he had a fantastic response about what Daryl taught him about being a pro and what Dion taught him uh, about some habits that and he referred to him on Saturday maybe weren't the best as far as you know he said hey does a cheetah stretch before he goes after his prey <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff oh 
being around them made Champ Bailey the player that he became. So who's to say if he would have been the same guy if he'd come straight to Denver in 1999? It was probably for the best things worked out for him where he had that path that went through Washington. He got to be around a couple of first ballot Hall of Famers, and now Champ Bailey joins them as first ballot Hall of Famers. And hopefully someday down the line we're talking about Champ's protege, the man he regards as the best cornerback in the NFL, Chris Harris Jr., having that same recognition. Yeah, and it was cool to see him out there. Chris, Vaughn, Brendan McManus were out there. Chris is his legacy. Yes. You talk to Champ for a while, and you understand that he feels like as long as Chris is still out there playing at a high level, that's a part of him that's still in the NFL. And the fact that Chris has had this kind of career and learned so much in the three years from being around Champ, I mean, Champ's almost like a proud football papa. Mm-hmm. when it comes to everything regarding Chris Harris Jr. No doubt about it. Yeah, it, it was a really special night. Got, got all the feels, especially with the Bolin family, when uh, they ran the, the video uh, tribute to uh, Mr. Bolin. And, uh, yeah, it was really special. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, a, a bit long, but I think we say that after every single time. It's always, it's always a bit long. And then, you know, but imagine but it with your, 20 next year. Oh, I know. And th- they're going to have to break that up somehow. There's <laughs> yeah, just no way two or three days. Yeah. You can't, you can't do one night of that. You'll yeah. I, I say three days. That sounds about right. Now, maybe what you do is the separate seniors day. Yes. And with seniors, probably the, about half of the seniors, I would estimate have passed on. Mm-hmm. So it would be a little bit more brisk of a presentation in that regard. You're going to probably have some 1920s, 1930s type players that are in the seniors class, but hopefully we'll also be talking about Randy Gratishar. And I know Randy has given a lot of speeches in his lifetime. I think he would bring down the house with a speech, especially because for Randy Gratishar, if he gets to speak in Canton, he's going back to his home state of Ohio. That Grand- would actually be really cool. To That'd see. be cool. Gratishar, Mecklenburg, Wrights, all, all will be in the running there, and of course, Atwater. So let's bring it back to the present. Broncos practicing on Sunday. The newest Bronco, Theo Riddick. The Chronicles of Riddick in Denver are now underway. <laughs> I had to say it. I'll just get it off my chest right now, and that's it. And he wasn't at full use on Sunday, Ryan, but was out there quite a bit. You saw some two-back sets with him and Devontae Booker Mm -hmm. flanking Joe Flacco, which is certainly interesting in light of looking at the roster construction and saying, okay, where is Theo Riddick's spot going to come from? A lot of speculation that Devontae Booker might be sitting on the bubble right now, but using them together, at least initially, it's maybe a little bit of experimentation, but shows that they might have a plan to keep four running backs. They could. I mean, there's, you know, we're all the Broncos fans that have been out there saying immediately this is uh, Devontae Booker's off the roster. I, I wouldn't do that at all. In fact, I'd, I'd hold on to him throughout the course of training camp, the preseason. I'd, I'd let them all keep playing because the reality is there's going to be an injury to some other team. It could be an injury to your team, but there's going to be an injury out there to running back. And his value, if he can, if he has a couple of standout preseason games, a couple standout preseason moments, will only go up. I mean, it, you'd think so on a one-year contract, not so much. But hey, if you can flip him for a sixth rounder somehow to some team, um, why why would you just straight up cut him? Now, when you get closer to cut down, again, a reminder: there is no cut down to seventy-five; it's only down to fifty-three. When you get closer to cut down, yeah. 
if you're still sitting there with all four of those guys healthy, maybe teams aren't going to give you anything for him. But in the meantime, over the next couple of weeks, I think he becomes a, a valuable trade piece if uh, if some team suffers some kind of injury at running back. Some team will suffer an injury at running back. That's just it's given. part and parcel of the position. And actually, for the Broncos, maybe Theo Riddick, along with Devontae Booker here, provides you insurance in case. Right. Let's say Royce Freeman has another ankle sprain. Let's say Phil Lindsay has a setback in his recovery from the wrist injury. Yeah, why would you move on from him right away when you yeah. have great depth all of a sudden? Enjoy the insurance policy. Bingo. You, and then if you have to cash it in, you do so. I will say this. The reports on the terms of Riddick's contract, while it's not prohibitive, the sort of bonus that they've reportedly given him, a seven-figure signing bonus, mm-hmm. tells me Theo Riddick's going to be on this 53. He's going to be on this 53 and. I wouldn't be shocked if he caught sixty balls. I, I mean, not not really. I mean, they're gonna. He's done it before. He's he's been the most one of the most consistent running backs out of the backfield, catching the ball in the league. I mean, you're talking about averaging almost four hundred seventy five yards receiving per game over the last several years. Sixty seven catches or something to that effect. Two and a half touchdowns, all catching the the ball. And this is the thing, Mace. I mean, he can play out of the slot, and that's actually a, a great spot for him. He was doing it today. That's right. And so then you actually start to wonder, in this offense that likes to target the tight ends and running backs so much, you start to think about, okay, well, maybe he might even eat into some targets for a wide receiver on the roster too. Say maybe Deshaun Hamilton. He might eat into a little bit of his targets as well. So so something to kind of think about. It's not just about the running backs. It's also about the wide receivers, especially the third wide receiver for the Broncos and what kind of targets he might take away. I don't know that for certain, but they're not going to run a ton of 11 as it stands. No. And their strength is not 11 personnel. And certainly you're looking at where their uh, depth is stacking up as well. Emmanuel Sanders was back out there today. Did the most work easily that he's had at any point in his recovery from the torn Achilles. Looked like he was catching everything out there. Looked good. Uh, Juwan Winfrey looked good. Again, he continues to have uh, a great training camp. But Emmanuel Sanders did come in early. Yeah, he did. Walked in early, was not part of move the ball at the end of practice. And then the offense still drove 75 yards Mm -hmm. in a situation where they were down seven points. It was a touchdown or else. Drove downfield. You had a catch by Kelvin McKnight. You had River Craycraft actually getting the touchdown. Fred Brown making a catch. A lot of different receivers involved without Sanders. So they're still trying to figure out the depth, obviously, at wide receiver. But Emmanuel Sanders, it was a good sign that he was out there, but... uh, Still working out. Exactly. Yeah, still working back. Let's see where he is tomorrow. I think that, that's exactly what it is. And Cortland Sutton, by the way, continues to be really, really impressive to me. Uh, the the variation of routes, they're having him run. And one of the things that jumps out for Cortland that I really, really like is you know, when he misses a catch, even if it's not completely on him, if he had a chance to catch it, there was a diving pass um, earlier in practice from Joe Flacco, and he had a dive to the left sideline, and... It, was, it would have been a tough catch. He could have caught it, but it would have been a tough catch. It would have been for no more than five or six yards, right? But he got up, he clapped his hands, and he barked at the, the sky, you know, kind of angry at himself for not coming down with that ball. I like that with him. I like that. He, he And you've seen that, of course, over the course of training camp, too. He gets really frustrated if he thinks he had a chance at catching it and he doesn't come down with it. His expectation is he should come down with everything. He feels like if it's in his area code, it should be his ball. Bingo. And... I like seeing that perfectionism. It does not surprise me. 
the key for Cortland Sutton is to make sure that you forget it when you go to the next play. Yes. That you quickly move on, accept that it didn't happen. That's something that I still think he's working on, making sure that you go to that next play, reset, and the last play, if it didn't go your way, is out of your mind. That's something for pros that usually takes two or three years to really get down pat because for these guys, they've been great at every level of football to this point. The NFL is the first place where you get humbled a little bit, where it's on a different level in terms of difficulty and what you have to do to succeed. And so sometimes failure can be frustrating. For Cortland Sutton, it's simply understanding that, okay, that play is gone. Next play, I'm going to make it. I think he's getting better at that. I think a year from now, Cortland Sutton will have that completely short memory. He's on his way. He's better at that than he was last year. But the variation of routes is the thing I wanted to make sure that we got to because right. the variety that they're using out there, this isn't the uh, 50-50 ball go route. You know, Hey, let's just put it up there. He, he looks he's running great everything. on that 15-yard cross. Whew. Devastating. Long stride. Yes, devastating. And then the key is... Got to hit him out in front. There mm-hmm. was an opportunity yeah. for a, a play that I think would have been a touchdown mm-hmm. in that move of the ball period. Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, that he that that was that the play you were referencing. Yep. I thought you were referencing a play earlier. See, I missed most of practice. No, that's okay. I actually did not arrive until. Well, no, that that, that was not the play I was referencing okay. with where he had to dive. He had to dive to the left sideline. That was that you was were okay. You missed okay. That was a play you saw. I didn't. I got back from Canton this morning at 11 o'clock, so I, I watched the last 45 minutes of practice. The play I'm thinking about is the one where he had that crossing mm-hmm. route, and Joe Flacco, if he leads him, Cortland's going to turn up field. That's a touchdown, given the open field, and it wasn't and it wasn't there. The pass was behind him, and that's something where they've got to just work on the timing a little bit. Joe Flacco had some good moments. He did. But... On that drive, you had that missed crossing route, and then you had a missed pass in the flat to, I believe, Devontae Booker, yep. which compelled him to... <laughs> to say something to, we can't say even on this podcast. It was an expletive set out of exasperation. Well, because it was the two-minute drill, and that was the third, that was the, the second straight incompletion, yes. if I remember correctly. And they were facing fourth down. They ended up hitting uh, Sutton on a slant for 12. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, after that, they had a a little short incompletion to uh, Royce. And then they dialed it. You mentioned Fred Brown. A couple of completions to Philip Lindsay. And a big completion to Tim Patrick. Then that was the incompletion to Sutton. But then it was a Kelvin McKnight for seven. And then a touchdown for 13 yards to... uh, to number 11, but uh, even in that, that River Craycraft touchdown, Von Miller ran right by that Flacco. That would, would have been a sack in game <laughs> conditions. He would have at least affected the play, no question about it. Even even if he just gets a hand on his jersey, uh, Flacco's not able to stand there and make that completion. One thing I'm looking forward to at whatever point it happens in the preseason, whether it's this Thursday against Seattle or the following week in San Francisco, is seeing the first team pass rush at work at full speed because day after day you watch practice and there are anywhere from 6 to 12 plays from team periods where you're writing down would have been a sack in game conditions. And this is with all levels of the defense, first, second, and third team, but 
especially with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. And they both were wrecking things. Chubb broke up a pass. He was in the backfield quite a bit. Von Miller, even though he was at the Hall of Fame ceremony last night and caught a flight back right after, so probably not on a lot of sleep out there this morning. Von Miller was doing Von Miller things. As good as everybody thinks they are or should be, I think they're going to be even better. That's how good a training camp they're having. And that is, you were 100% right when you said that you almost have to make a note when first team defense is out there, almost as a sack, would, would have been close to a sack. You had to make some kind of notation on almost every play when first team defense is out there because they've been that good. And, and they can't even tackle yet. Yeah, and the coaches are noting that too. And it's one reason why Malik Reed as a reserve, has made an impression on Vic Fangio and had a good game Thursday at his press conference after Sunday's practice. Vic Fangio pointed to Draymond Jones and Malik Reed as two guys who really stood out. Malik Reed, right now, looks like he's got a real shot at a 53-man roster spot the way he's playing and practicing and the key thing for him was tape, making sure you can make it translate to the game. He did. Demarcus Walker did. Draymond Jones, it wasn't qu- quite there in practice like it was for Demarcus Walker or Malik Reed, but he had that big surge in the fourth quarter with the back-to-back plays, and we're going to hear from, from Draymond here in a couple of minutes. Really excited about the young, young depth in the front seven right now with those three. 100%. And they they all they've all said since the start of off season how much they love this system and how how much it helps their game and how good they feel about it and and you're seeing it out there in games and you know you, that that's what you kind of wanted to see though right I mean you're especially against in the fourth quarter against guys that are maybe not even making rosters you want to see them play well against those guys because the talent level that they're going to see as they if they do make the team is only going to go up. Well, Malik Reed was doing it against second teamers, though. He was. With Draymond Jones, he was playing more late. Yes. And the back-to-back plays that really made that comeback possible because he had the rush that led to the interception Mm -hmm. that gave the Broncos the ball in Atlanta territory. Great plays, but facing an Atlanta line comprised of guys who will mostly not be there Malik Reed and Demarcus Walker making plays against in the first half against guys in the Falcons yep. who are likely to be on the 53 when all is said and done, all being his backups. Agreed. And uh, we we talked about Malik Reed quite a bit heading into camp. We, we you you liked him a lot. I, I I had him on my 53 as well. So it's it's not like it's a completely like oh gosh we just now discovered this guy. We we liked him a lot, but we just didn't know how the youth would shake out. Like like what would Holland do if Hollins is playing outside linebacker what's what how's that going to look uh, both those guys had a couple of plays as well in the game but yeah the youth behind Chubb and Miller looks at least interesting that you won't have to say go into the draft with a high pick next year with that you maybe think about the development of these guys and what they're going to be able to do for the team long term I think with Malik Reed the interesting thing is we talked about how Jeff Holland maybe could be that Shaq Barrett replacement but it's starting to look like it might be Malik Reed I'm starting to think so, too. But Shaq Barrett was on the practice squad that first year. Malik Reed, if he stacks another couple of good games in the preseason 
I don't think the Broncos are going to have that luxury of being able to sneak him on the practice squad. No, I don't. I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I mean, I'm not saying after one game he's already there, but no, but he's right now. If I, I'm right, I'm writing my 53, and he's on there. Yeah, Ahmad Gooden. I don't know if he did got to do very much practicing today. I, I saw him out in shorts yeah. with no shell on, so I don't know if something something's going on with him, but. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Malik Reed, if you were writing it up, there's no question he's on right now. And I, th- I think he's going to have plenty of opportunity. He'll get plenty of reps, plenty of snaps over the next couple of preseason it games. It was telling that he started Thursday mm-hmm. as well. And that Jeff Holland came in rotationally and that, that he was starting off the edge. Let's go back to Draymond Jones. We can put him in Sharpie yeah. on the 53 as a third round pick. Ryan Edwards, Benjamin Albright, and I talked with Draymond Jones after Sunday's practice. And he had to come back out from the locker room to talk to us because when he walked in, he was carrying, I believe, six sets of shoulder pads of his fellow defensive linemen, including one that he was literally wearing on his head. I don't know how he could see very well as he walked across the field. But Draymond, appreciate him coming back out of the locker room to talk to us. Here's that conversation. Chatting with Draymond Jones. Man, you got to carry all those pads? What was that all about? It's part of my gig being a rookie. It sucks. (laughs) Coming off the big game, Hall of Fame game, uh, you had a big night out there. Was it good to get out there in your first NFL action and kind of put a statement on it? Um, yeah, that was fun. I had a great time performing. And I had a great time just winning it in total. It was a fun night for me. What did you take from your first film review as a pro? Um, so what did I what I take from it? Yeah. Um, I missed a lot of opportunities for sacks, so I just make sure I got to clean up and be tighter when I win. My pass rush. Do you feel really comfortable out there? I mean, Derek Wolf's been describing, all the defensive linemen really have been describing this defense as an opportunity to make big plays. And it seemed like once you were able to get out under the lights, that seemed really comfortable for you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was back in Ohio State playing. I got real comfortable out there after just getting my feet wet early on. And then uh, once I got going, I feel like I just, I got hot. Was it nice being back in Ohio for that game? Did that provide a sense of comfortability or was that a factor at all? Um, It was a factor with the emotion standpoint, just being back home and then playing in front of my fam- my friends and family again, just seeing them after the games, even though I couldn't see all of them. Seeing like 10 or, 10 or 12 of them, it was good to see some familiar faces because I've been out here for a while now. So, What have you learned from being around Kolar? Um, how, the, how the business is. It's, just, it's a different ball game from college. You know, the, Things aren't the same. The defense isn't the same. How you approach the game isn't the same anymore. So pretty much what I learned. What would you say some of the feedback you've received so far during training camp from the coaches, things that you uh, want to continue to work on throughout the preseason? Um, nothing but positive. I don't want to go too much into detail. But it's, it's all been positive feedback for me. I haven't really made – I made some mistakes, but not too many to a point where it's jeopardizing me. I've, I've been doing my job. I feel like, I feel like I'd, uh, I provided some sense of uh, comfortability for them the way I performed the other day. So, Biggest difference between how you handle the uh, college game and the pro game? Um – one, the preparation and the speed of it. You know, these uh, old linemen are a little more physical, a little more faster than they are at the college level, and they're more patient in their technique. So just that adjustment early on, I had to make sure I had to get on top of that. What are you hoping to uh, do in Seattle building on last week? Um, watch film, see how they work, and pretty much do the same thing I did the other, other night. Uh, just kind of just play my game when I get an opportunity to. But doing it in the realms of the defense and not try to do something outside of the box because, you know, Coach Fangio, you know, his calling is, is amazing. His his scheme is on point. So if I feel like you just follow what he does and just play within his scheme, he should make plays. Last one for me. Uh, as far as the rest of the defensive players, defensive linemen that you've been working with, who you've uh, really kind of latched onto or, or learned the most from? 
Um, I'm not even lying. I've, I've lashed on to all of them. They've all given me a tip or two when time needed to be for me to uh, try to excel. Ryan, thanks for sticking around, man, on yep. a Sunday afternoon here at Dove Valley UC Health Training Center, Pat Bowen Fieldhouse, all that. Missed you the last few days. It was just not the same without you. I wish I could have been Canada. there. Yep, I appreciate it. No, it was good following along. Uh, you, you obviously, AdMace Denver was a, a great resource for everybody that wanted to be there, a lot of Broncos fans. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully next year when our guy Steve goes in. Hopefully, Patchwork Blue will reunite and perform <laughs> at the Steve Atwater Hall of Fame party. For Ryan Edwards, I'm Andrew Mason. This is the Broncos Camp Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah.